mine that uh, used to work at Yellowstone. And uh, his job at Yellowstone was to uh, go out on these trails and look for bear signs. And, and uh, one day they'd gotten a rumor that there were bears on this particular trail. So he and his partner, had, they went out to just confirm it. And, um, and as they, they walked over this hill, uh, this grizzly and her two cubs were about 100 yards away. And they froze. Unfortunately, there was a pretty good breeze at their back. And, and as soon as they crested that hill, it's like that bear just goes and looks right at them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and it didn't like them. It didn't want them to be there. And so instantaneously that grizzly started charging them. Now, they were trained. And, uh, and he said to me, he goes, you know, we were trained that when a bear charges you, don't run because they'll outrun you. So you need to lay down, you need to play dead and cover your soft parts. And uh, but as he said, thought through that, this is all happening in his head, he thought, all my parts are soft. And, um, and, he, and so, so he said, when a grizzly is running at you and it's really mad, you run. And, uh, and so they, he and his partner, I mean, they're part people, they took off running and instinctively they, they saw these trees and it just trusted their instincts. They, they, they shimmied up this, these trees, these two pine trees, or I, don't know, I think they were pine trees. And, and, and you know, uh, what's funny is uh, uh, he said to me, he goes, you know what? You can shimmy up a tree when a bear's running at you. You just can. The adrenaline's going, and, and he shimmied up this tree, and, and it was a good, good instinct because the tree was too small for the bear to climb, but it was too big for it to knock over. And so this bear shakes the tree, and they're screaming. They're up there holding on, and they had some limbs they were on, so they were not going to, like, slide down. But, um, but uh, the bear then realizes he can't get them down, and so he just lays down and she lays down and takes a nap. I guess a, a girl bear, I guess. Um, and lays down and takes a nap. And so they're just, hold, they're up there. Slept for like 35, 40 minutes. And so they, uh, then the bear got up and they tried to be real quiet and, uh, and it wandered off. And so they stayed up there for another hour and a half or two hours. Um, and then they realized, okay, it's probably safe. So they climbed down and headed out of the park uh, to change their underwear and then also to... Uh, put up a sign that says there's a bear there, and uh, and and and. But what was interesting about what he said to me, he goes, you know, in spite of that sign that said trail closed, bears in the area, do not take this trail. That people ignored the signs often, and they would simply just go, yeah, it didn't matter. I'm gonna I'm gonna go anyway. And, and you know, isn't that human nature for us? I mean, we, we want to go our own way. We want to ignore the signs, the warning signs that are in front of us. And, and you know, it, it's really a, a depiction of the human problem, of, of our biggest struggle. And, and when it comes to our subject today, it's a difficult subject. We're going to unpack for the next few minutes this the biblical grounds for divorce. We're in this series called I Choose You, and we're in Matthew 19. And if, you open, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open there, Matthew 19, 1 through 12. And, 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 and it's this moment in Scripture where, where God speaks about divorce. And, and Jesus, uh, there are two accounts of this encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees, Mark chapter 10, uh, Matthew 19. And what we are doing is we are, over the next, this eight-week period, we're, we're three weeks into it, we're 
hovering over these two passages, trying to understand what God has said. And, and I think it's important for us to recognize that God has spoken, that God has warned us on many things in Scripture, and it's, and it's wise for us to pay attention to what he said. And, and there are some things in life that God wanted, uh, wanted it to be so clear that he, that he basically outlined it in his word. And this was an instance where Jesus spoke to this. And, and so it's my prayer for us, and it's my goal today, that we walk out of here with, with an understanding and a, and, a, and a realization of what the Bible says about divorce. I also pray that we walk out of here with a resolve that if you're married today, that you are passionate and you, you rediscover a passion for your marriage, that Maybe you're here today and you're contemplating, I think I'm done with this marriage. That, that God, in his wisdom, stops you and gets in your way. And says, look, it's worth it to rebuild your marriage. That, that you shouldn't let your marriage come apart. Now, now the reality is I'm, I'm, I'm aware today of, I preached a wedding last night. Uh, 60, 50% of our marriages end in divorce. And many of us in our room today, you, you've been impacted. You've had that atomic bomb explosion in your life. Uh, and you've gone through the pain of divorce. And, and even broaching the subject today in a series called I Choose You is difficult. Because you know what it's like to, some of you know what it's like to not be chosen. To, that some, your spouse chose somebody else. And today, it's almost like, man, Chris, I came to church to be encouraged. And, 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 and it is encouraging today because God, the, God's grace is sufficient. We've sung about that today. But, but in some ways, this is like I'm, I'm ripping off a, a scab that's on your heart. And, but but, I, but I, want us to know, I want us to realize that, that, that the, the Bible moves us to confront difficult subjects and difficult things. And this is one of them today. And it's important for us not to ignore the signs, not to ignore what Jesus has said, and not to just go, you know what, it's too painful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not deal with that. No, it's better to come and deal with what God's Word says. So would you stand with me and let's read together Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read 1 through 12 together and and let's stand in honor of reading God's word. And, and, and this is his word to us. It's not my words, it's his. And so let's, let's honor it today. Verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one another to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and, and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in this passage, uh, we've and I've said this every week, and I want to quickly say it right now, that, that this is a series for those of us that are married. If you're married today, this is an important series for you. And I pray that even this message will help you develop a resolve for your marriage. That, that you come, to, come together with your spouse and say, look, we're going to build a marriage that lasts. And, and many of us are in the fiery trials of marriage. We, we're in the normalcy of marriage, of, of life. And, and we've recognized that, look, we're through that honeymoon stage. We're through that, that uh, stage where it's all great. Uh, and we're in the real life stage, bu- building a life that is a marriage that's based on choice. And, and I want you to know the power of choice. That, that the greatest love that you will ever receive or give is a love that you choose to receive and give. And our world is all messed up when it comes to their depiction of love. They depict your love as this, oh, this spontaneous, this, oh, I just accidentally stumble into it. But that's not love. Love is, real love is based on sacrifice. And, and I'm learning this as I've been married to this lady right here for the last 23 years that, that my, my, when I hold her hand, I don't get that funny feeling in my stomach anymore. But the love that I have for this woman when I hold her hand is so deep, it's so much deeper than it was when I got that funny feeling. This is a series if you're, if you're not married. Maybe you've been through that atomic explosion of divorce. You know, and and this is a series for you because it's important that you understand and process even your own experience. You've got to prepare. If you you enter into a marriage relationship again, you've got to recognize what God says about marriage and divorce. If you're a teenager today, it's my prayer that you grow up with a biblical vision of what God has said about marriage because when you choose whom you choose to marry is so significant, so important. So let's, let's look at this. Now, it's interesting as you look at this passage that when Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, he, they meant to trick him. Now, the divorce was a hot potato issue in, in, in the time of Jesus, and, and they were trying to trap him, the Scripture says. And, and they were trying to pin him down. But Jesus was God with skin on. He, he knew what people were thinking. And, and, and so he was, it was impossible to trap him. And what he did here was masterful because as he is confronted about divorce, what does he do? He talks about marriage. Now, point number one today, and, and it, it's this. And God intends for every marriage to stay together. And that's God's intention. God's plan for your marriage and, and for, for my marriage is to stay together. And, and, and these Pharisees, they were going back to Deuteronomy 24.1 because Moses allowed divorce. He permitted divorce. And, and, and they came to Jesus and said, look, Moses commanded divorce. Now, what Jesus does when he's encountering this question is he says, no, 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 wait a minute. 
I want to talk to you about God's plan from the beginning. And, from, from, and, and he says, he goes back to the beginning. No, you're missing it, fellas. You're looking for the easy way out. And what's interesting is all the way back to Moses and, prob- and definitely before, people were wanting the easy way out of marriage. And I'll tell you, it's, it's important that we don't take the easy way out. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, no, you know, like marriage is, is, is this. It's, a, it's the total commitment of a total person for the totality of life. That's what marriage is. Marriage is this complete commitment. Now, look at verse 4, and he says, and Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say that it's impossible to separate. But he says, what God has joined together, you shouldn't separate. And this is important. Because sometimes we come into marriage, and I've seen so many couples throughout my years of ministry that have said, I I want the easy way out. And, And folks, marriage is work. But it's great work. It's important work. And and. It's important that we understand that the Pharisees were looking for an easy way out, and Jesus uh, was, was pointing them to what it was like from the beginning that, that marriage should not be broken. Your covenant should not be broken. Now, the cro- driving cause of this decision is in verse 7. Look at it. They said to them, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And, and, and see, this was, the, this was important. Moses did say back in the time of Deuteronomy 24.1, these men would divorce their wives, and the wives were in trouble. They were destitute. And Moses said, look, this is, this is a problem. You, you men are leaving these women, and they are in trouble because no one is caring for them. And he said, okay, so you need to provide a certificate. Moses put some guidelines not to give the men a reason to go, see, uh, it's legal now, but to protect the ladies that were in trouble. And it was a smart thing for Moses to do. But verse 8, Jesus said to them, it's because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So you got to see the, the, the Pharisees are saying, look, Moses commanded divorce. And he said, no, he didn't. He didn't command divorce. He allowed it because your hearts were hard. Now, this is big. If you're thinking about leaving your marriage... You need to look at your heart. Is your heart hard? Is that why you're leaving? And, and this is what Jesus does to these men. He says, no, no, you need, your hearts are hard, boys. That's why he permitted divorce. And, and I want us to see this. I want you to write this down, that permission to divorce is not a command for divorce. And that's something Moses was wanting, or, or Jesus was wanting them to say. Just because there's permission for divorce, he's not commanding 
you to divorce. And I, I want you to know I've seen this. I've seen God take some of the most difficult situations of couples and, and uh, I mean, real hurt, real mistakes, real pain, and I've watched God restore marriages. I, I've watched them come together. They, they genuinely sought forgiveness. They made significant changes. They did the work of rebuilding their marriage. And you know what happened? They developed a strong marriage even in the midst of error. And I want you to know something. Never does God command divorce. He permits it. And we've got to understand that. Now, um, it's, um, I've had a lot of couples that have said to me, you know what, I just want to start over. I think it's going to be better if I just end my marriage and start over. And can I tell you that, that the rebuilding of your marriage is a better path? So if, if I can challenge you and encourage you and stand in front of you, if you're here today and you're thinking about bailing on your marriage, a better path is to come together and repent and to forgive and to, to make changes. Now, it's got to take both of you. And you know what's tough is that I know many who that's what you were wanting, but your spouse just wouldn't do it. And, and Jesus knew that. So what does he say? Um, there are three biblical grounds for divorce that I want to give us today. And number one, that Jesus lays out here, it's sexual unfaithfulness. And it's listed there in your notes. Sexual unfaithfulness is, is a ground for divorce. Look at verse 7. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So this whole issue of divorce and remarriage, this is important because Jesus says, look, if, if you have a spouse that has broken that sexual covenant in your marriage, you have permission to divorce. But don't, don't misunderstand that, no, I have a, I'm commanded to divorce. No, he's not. He's not commanding you to divorce if sexual failures have taken place in your life. And I just want you to know there's help around you if that's happened. There, there is the possibility of a rebuilding of your marriage even if sexual unfaithfulness has taken place. And so that's where the church comes in. That's where we, 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 you have brothers and sisters that are helping one another. And I've seen it. I've seen it take place. And, and I want you to know there is restoration even after that. But understand, if you are a spouse that breaks the covenant of your marriage and has sex with another person. Your spouse that has been offended has permission to divorce you and marry another. Now, from a scriptural standpoint, if you are the offender, if you are the one that said, I'm going to go have an affair and I'm going to leave my spouse, from a biblical perspective, you do not have permission to remarry. You're like, man, that's a, you're mean. No, that's what the Bible says. Now, what's, why sex? I mean, our culture, our, 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 our we're, we, we've, we've distorted the view of sex. 
And in, in, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to turn it, we're going to hover over the oneness idea of, of, you know, you should leave your father and mother, you should cleave to your wife. We're gonna, and, and, and we're going to unpack that uh, in, a, in a significant way over the next several weeks. Uh, about three weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to deal with sex and, and, and what it, what the, the biblical view of sex. And this is important because we live in a world that is fascinated with sex. And I want you to hear this, and, and I'll say this again in a couple of weeks, but, but God has created sex. God's the one that made sex, right? It wasn't invented by King Henry VIII in like a long time ago. Yeah, God made sex. God made it good. He, he created a whole book of the Bible that Hebrew boys weren't allowed to read, the book of Song of Solomon. They weren't allowed to read until they were adults. I mean, it's R-rated. It is very sexual and sensual. And and God made sex, and the world has twisted it. The world has fascinated by it, and, they, and they've distorted it. And, they, and, and in the church, we are silent about it. And sometimes in our families, we don't talk about sex. And the, and the reality is we should overcome that because our children need to learn about uh, sex from, from us, who we are, we are pouring values into them. And I don't want my kids to learn about sex from, from their, their eighth-grade buddy at school who learned from his 10th-grade his brother. No, we are the ones that need to be instructing and guiding our kids with a biblical view of sex. And I want you to understand sex is, is the only natural human act that has the power of creating human life. Think about this. So God has put sex under the most sacred relationship known to mankind, which is marriage. And this is why God says the sexual relationship with your spouse is a very important act, and it should never be violated. This is why as teenagers we want to challenge you to save yourself for marriage, to wait to have sex until you're married, to save that for your wedding commitment. Because an act so powerful should be reserved for sacrifice, someone that is going to love you and sacrifice for you. And Jesus says, look, his words are crystal clear. If, if sexual unfaithfulness takes place and it happens to you, you're the offended. You have the freedom to remarry. And, and, and I want you to know um, if you're the offender in your relationship, it's my prayer that you, you repent of this, that you humble yourself, that, that you seek genuine forgiveness from your spouse, that, that you put boundaries in your life. And years ago, Robin and I memorized Psalm 16, 5 and 6. I would encourage you to memorize this passage. It says, it says you, Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure um, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I want you to understand, we need to have boundaries in our lives. And when it comes to the sexual temptations that are out there, you and I must live with boundaries, and boundaries are good for us. I want to tell you just some boundaries I, we have. And um, they've been wise for us. And, uh, and, and I've, I've, in, I've pushed this on our staff. And I'll tell you, if you're a business person or if you're whatever you do, I think these are smart. 
And I think you ought to consider these. But one of the boundaries that I have, just practically, is that, is that Robin and I have decided that I'm not going to ever go to lunch with another woman by myself uh, um, other than a family member. I mean, I'll go with my sister or my mom. You know, but but I, that's a boundary. You will never see me at a restaurant around town or anywhere else with another woman by myself, ever. Now, does that mean I'm going to be like, at the restaurant and be like, oh, man, let's make out. No, no. No, but it's a boundary. It's an emotional boundary. Uh, I'll ne- you'll never see me in a car riding with another woman by myself uh, other than my sister or my mom or my daughters ever. You'll never see it. It's a boundary we have. Robin's the same way. We've embraced this. Um, as a pastor, I will never counsel a woman by myself more than four times. Ever. If a woman's in, having some struggles, I, I want a shepherd, I want to lead, and I, I'm sympathetic. And, and, but, but it would be important for me to hand that off after four times. It just won't happen. And it's, it's not because I don't care for people and, and all that, but it's just a boundary. I have an emotional boundary. Um, uh, I have chosen in my life, and Robin has chosen in her life, I will always keep other women at a distance. It's just how it is. Because she's the one I open up to, she's the one I connect with, and she's chosen the same thing. You know, when I was growing up, I had a high school, Sunday school teacher, and they were awesome. They were an awesome couple. And uh, phenomenal teachers for seniors in high school. They were inspiring, they were fun. And, and right after I graduated, the, the uh, wife started playing tennis. And, uh, and one of the things that's popular in tennis circles, I play in a tennis league, and, and they do mixed doubles all the time. And she started playing mixed doubles with a guy. Within a year, she had had an affair, and their marriage had dissolved. I, I just want you to understand that boundaries are critical. And I would encourage you to put those boundaries in your life because sexual unfaithfulness is devastating. And Jesus says, it is permissible to break what God has joined together if you break that covenant. And, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I told this young man last night that I married him. I married them. He's a, he was a Marine. And I said to them, him, Hey, you know what it's like to have a, a commanding officer give you an order, right? He's like, oh, yeah, I know. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I wasn't in the Marines, but if the commanding officer tells you to do something, I'm pretty sure they expect you to do it. And, and I said, your commanding officer, not just the commanding officer, the king of all kings, is listening to the vows you're about to make. And he expects you to keep them. A lot to say. There's another bound, there's another permissible reason for divorce, and it's in your notes there, desertion. It's a second biblical ground for divorce, and it's written by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 7, we have to go there because Jesus didn't address it in Matthew 19, but we have to recognize the Bible speaks to desertion. In, in Corinthians Turn over there if you have your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. Now, what the context of this passage, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. A lot of people are coming to Christ. A lot of people are, are, are believing in Jesus and they're following him. And what's happening is you're seeing a lot of spouses, one's coming to faith in Christ, the other's not. 
And what's happening in the church at Corinth is a lot of these unbelieving spouses are saying, I'm done. I don't want to marry you. I don't want to stay married to you. I didn't sign up for this. And they're abandoning their wives. They're abandoning their husbands. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 7. Look what the text says, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so he's saying, look, divorce is not something you should do flippantly. He says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So he's saying, look, even if your spouse is mad at you that you came to Christ, you should stay there. You should stay together. And and that's what he says. Verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. There's a lot to unpack there. We don't have time in this moment. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as, as it is there holy. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So you see right here, Paul's saying, look, if your spouse will stay with you, you should stay. Because you may lead that spouse to Christ. You may impact their life spiritually. And I've seen that. I've seen that this week in our church. And and you know what? You should stay. But if your spouse leaves you and walks away from you, abandons you, The Bible says you have freedom. You are not enslaved anymore. That you you have permission. That divorce is permissible and you have the freedom to remarry. The scripture lays that out. Now, um, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to move to the last one. And if you have questions about this, if you want to unpack any of this further, shoot me an email. We'll, we'll, We'll do this. We have a marriage class starting uh, this week, you know, um, you, if, if you have questions, I want you to email me. Now, I'm, I'm very accessible, but there's a third one. And I want you to know about this third one. I don't have a verse that is as specific as the first two, but it's abuse. And, and you know what? Um, I have been a part of families who have been in the throes of abuse. I, I have been a part of families whose husbands have taken their fist and have physically abused their wives. Now, the Bible doesn't clearly say if you hit your wife or if you emotionally abuse your wife, or I've seen that with wives to husbands. Uh, we don't have a verse that says you have the freedom to leave. But, but here's why I think that's a valid reason. Because abuse, if, if you're going to attack and abuse your wives, whether it's physically or emotionally, or your spouse, let me say it's spouse, physically or emotionally, you are breaking the Ephesians 5 vision 
covenant of marriage. What does Ephesians 5 say? Uh, 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you are abusing emotionally or physically, wives, you are not submitting to that leadership. Husbands, if you are abusing physically or emotionally, you are rejecting Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and, and you know what? I know that there are some cases um, of wives abusing husbands. I, I know that. But, but I want to talk to men for a second. Men, let me tell you something. If there's ever been a time in your life that you have physically harmed your wife, then shame on you. That is an act of cowardice. And you know what I wish you would do? And I want to ask you to do this. Next time you do that, you come to my office. And you take a swing at me because I'll hit you back. In Jesus' name. I mean it. And and you better watch out for my forehand because I have a stinking good forehand. My backhand's not bad either. But but it's it's an act of cowardice. And it's never acceptable, ever. And it is my prayer that you repent of that. And I, I get angry about it. And I got to. And I'm human. But but I, I want you to know that if you are a husband and you are emotionally dominating your wife and emotionally abusing your wife, you know what that shows? That shows how insecure you are. Because because a real man, what does a real man do? A real man controls himself. A real man doesn't disciplines himself to not fly off the handle. Just yesterday, I watched a college football game. I love college football season. In, uh, I think, the Michigan game, there was a guy that made a good play, and he spun the ball and got a 15-yard penalty. I watched the Alabama game. A guy made just an emotion, as mo- emotional of a catch. And he handed the ball to the referee. You know, he controlled his emotions. Even in an intense situation, that's what a real man does. Abuse is never acceptable. Now, um, as we close today, there's a lot to say. A lot to say. But, I want point number three is this. Remarriage is not permissible for every person. And so if you're about to bail on your wife or your husband for somebody else, I want you to understand that from a biblical perspective, remarriage is not permissible for everyone. Now hear me here because I'm very intentional with my words here. If you are here and you're like, hey, Chris, I was the offender and I left my spouse and I married another. I'm sure there, there are many like that. Hear me. If you have entered a marriage, no, excuse me, here's my words, intentionality. If you have entered a biblical marriage in an unbiblical way, 
You should not. You should stay together. Okay? If you're married right now and you entered a biblical marriage in an unbiblical way, you should stay married. Now, here's why I say it like that. Because we live in a world where now people are talking about homosexual marriage. And I don't want you to hear me say, well, I entered into a, an unbiblical homosexual marriage in, a, in, a, in an unbiblical way, so I should stay together. Let me tell you something. This is just the facts of Scripture. Homosexuality is not permitted in Scripture. It's not. It is outside of the Bible. And, and to make the argument that homosexual marriage can be biblical is not biblically honest. And that's just the reality you know, right here, transgender, that's the big topic of our, of our day. And, and it's crazy that that's an issue that we are dealing with. But here's the reality. There, there are many people who are struggling with this. But can I tell you that transgender is not a biblical concept? God made them male and female. It's not an option from a biblical perspective. It is stepping outside of the Bible. And so to make that claim is simply being unbiblical. That's a whole nother sermon. But the reality is if you have entered into a biblical marriage in an unbiblical way, you should stay together. Second thing you should do, you should, you should plead, you, you, you should genuinely seek God's forgiveness. Several months ago, we, we unpa unpacked Psalm 51. That was when David made this incredible error, this huge mistake in his life. And, and what did he do? He repented. And he set the example for repentance. And, and that's, that's the reality. And, and I would challenge you, if you've done that, you go to the Lord and say, God, I repent of this. And I need your forgiveness because there is grace. And Brandon sang about that. He read about the grace of God, and it will impact you. Thirdly, you should cling to the Holy Spirit through every consequence. And, and, and see, what, what I love about David in Psalm 51, and let me say this real quickly, that David in Psalm 51 said, God, I, I, I repent and I accept any consequence that comes my way. And, and I, would, I want to challenge you that if that's where you are, you've got to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me through every consequence. If you are the offender, if you are the offended, if you've had a, a, a spouse that has walked away from you, God will restore you. I've seen it. There was a lady in my church in Oklahoma City, and, and, and her husband left her. It was devastating for all of us, and we wept and we cried. And, and she started praying for a Boaz, and, and, and several years later, I stood and preached her wedding to a genuine Boaz. And it was incredible. God can restore you. Now, in a couple weeks, I'm going to a wedding of a young man that I invested in. When he was in the seventh grade, his dad, who impacted my life, went to he and his older son and said, I'm leaving your mom. And he left. And I walked this young man through that entire experience, and he's getting married in a couple of weeks. I saw him on Monday. And a group of men, and I, got, I didn't get to go because it was in Oklahoma City and I couldn't make it. They had a shower for him, a tool shower. His dad was there. And this is a man that was a spiritual influencer. And as these men 
these godly men gathered around him, they said, we're going to speak into your life about marriage. And these godly men started talking, giving him advice as he's about to walk down the aisle. And his father remained silent the entire time. Because he knew my words are empty in the life of my son. And I, I, that sunk into me. If I left my wife, if I broke my marriage covenant, one of the things that we have done well, pretty well, we're still trying to do this well, is teach our children what God's word says. And if they recognize their father breaking the word of God, what it would do is it would silence the spiritual influence that I have in the life of my children. It would hinder it. And so I want you to know there are consequences to bailing on your marriage. And and it is my prayer that you avoid that. The thought of, of not being able to to share advice or wisdom with my son as he prepares to walk down the aisle would be devastating. Andy Stanley said something recently in in a sermon. He was talking to a bunch of younger men. And he said to these younger men, I want you to know something. When you become an older man, The thing that you will value the most is the respect of your children. You're not going to value your your retirement account, the stuff you have, the accomplishments you have made, the championships you have won. What you will long for the most as an older man is that your children look at you and say, you are a man worth following. So can I just stand in front of you and say, let's be a church that holds one another accountable that says, let's not silence our influence. This is a tough message, but I will never apologize for teaching God's word. And right here, and there's a lot to unpack that Jesus says, if you're going to receive it, you should receive it. There's grace in your marriage. There's help in your marriage. This Wednesday, we start a class this Wednesday, 6 o'clock. Six o'clock. I'm just a pastor. I don't know when things start. Um, come. If you're if you're struggling through that divorce, call me, email me. We'll figure something out. Let's not ignore the signs that Jesus has given us, that the God of all creation has given us. Our altars are going to be open, and you may need to come and just pray and go, God, help me. 
God, I've been the offender, and I want to come and just say, help me, I forgive, forgive me. Maybe you need to come and say, God, I've been offended. I've been broken. Help me. I pray for that Boaz. Maybe you're here and you're like, God, our marriage is tanking. I'm, we need you. Maybe you need to come to your wife and say, thank you for forgiving me. Let's go. I just want to thank the Lord. Would you allow God to move you? Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus.